If you're worshiping at home, you can have a seat as well. I know you couldn't endure that without being on your feet. So uh, incredible worship there, man. Our, our band, gosh, I love them. I love them. It's hard, yeah. Mm. There are times that I get up and I'm like, well, my job's easy. It's easy to preach after that. Uh, and so I am really excited that you're here. If you're visiting with us, man, my name's Alan. Uh, I'm the campus pastor here at Lindsay Lane North. This was Will, our amazing worship pastor. And so we are glad to have you guys with us. Uh, if you are visiting with us, uh, we, would l- we want to uh, direct your attention to the bulletin that you received when you came in today. Uh, hopefully you received this bulletin. Inside of that is a Connect card. Uh, there's also some neat stuff in here. Um, tells you a little bit about what's going on at a church, all of those sorts of things, as well as an outline for today's message, uh, and plenty of room for additional notes, right? Because I know y'all, I know that's, I know y'all all about it. I'm just kidding. Uh, but on that Connect card, if you would, fill that out, man. We want to know how we can pray for you. Uh, we want to have record that you were here, uh, and we would love to reach out and minister to you through that. So if you would do that and hang on to that at the end of service, uh, our offering is touchless, so we do it as you leave, uh, as you're dismissed, we, you drop it off at the, uh, in the bucket right there to the right, if you would slip that in there. As well as online, if you would, you could text North Connect to 31996, uh, and you will be directed to a mobile Connect card. Everything that you can do on the physical card, you can do on that card as well. But we do want to know that you are joining with us. Man, I am so excited. We are beginning a new series uh, this week, uh, a seven-week series that we are going to be in called Sign Me Up. All right? Sign Me Up. People are already getting nervous, right? Uh, here's why. I am very, very passionate about this. The longer I am pastor, you know, so year two of my pastorate, uh, I, am, I am super passionate about training up leaders. I believe that every church has a leadership ceiling. Uh, it's an imaginary ceiling that... Uh, as God continues to bless, as God continues to grow our number, as people continue to grow, hopefully, in their relationships with the Lord, uh, we need leaders that can adequately lead them. And here's, here's the problem. Here's what most churches do. Uh, most churches, they, they do as much leadership training as they, possibly, as they can in order to meet the need of their church. But here's the problem with that. And we know the, we know the statistics, right? That 80% of the work is being done by 20% of the people. Here's, here's the thing. If we are just trying to maintain, we are missing vision as a church. We're just focused on here and now. And so for us to have a comprehensive vision moving forward, I believe that we need to increase our leadership capital as a church. I believe we need to encourage you. And listen, if you're here for the first time, we are so glad to have you. If you're visiting and been visiting for a couple months, man, we are so glad to have you. All right? Don't hear that in, in this series. Don't hear, well, it's not good enough for the pastor. You know, Don't hear that. We're glad to have you. But at some point... At some point, your engagement with the church, if you are interacting with the Holy Spirit of God, when you come in on a Sunday morning, His Holy Spirit will move you to a deeper level of involvement and ownership in the church. 
I describe it like this. It goes from calling Lindsay Lane North a church. Well, I go to the church, on, in the, the little white church on the ridge there, right across from the old fire hall. And, I, and I, I, I describe it that way too. But it goes from I'm going to church to I, I'm going to my church. Leadership, where leadership starts is when people take ownership of what God is doing in their church and in their community. Right? That's when that begins. And so uh, we want to encourage you. God, His Holy Spirit, I promise you, is encouraging you to go on in maturity, to get better connected. And so what we want to do is not just have an on-ramp for you to come to our church or have an on-ramp for you to accept Christ or, and to be baptized, but we also want to create on-ramps for you to be able to plug into a home group uh, I believe if you're not in a home group, you are missing a vital aspect of what the church is designed by God to be. You are missing small group accountability. In fact, I'll go as far as to say if you're missing home groups, it is easier to make the argument that the New Testament church was a small house movement than it is a big gathering. Right, So you're missing New Testament church and not being a part of that. And so, and so we want to move you to groups, but not just groups, but we want you to begin to volunteer. We want you to begin to take leadership roles within the church. Again, to take ownership because we want to be as effective as we can be to continue to reach. I read today as I, I spoke to our leadership home group that the greatest detriment to tomorrow's success is today's success. It's the greatest detriment. And so God has done incredible things, man. We, we were excited, Will and I, moving all the different chairs in. And I'll just tell you, apparently there was a more efficient way to do it than we had it before. This is more efficient. Um, but we were so excited to, to do that because God's blessing. But we can never be content because there is always somebody that needs Jesus. Amen? And we need to be active and be a part of that. And so that's what this Sign Me Up series is all about. And so the first four weeks, we're going to be in the book of Haggai. So if you got your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to your table of contents, find Haggai, and then turn to it, all right? Uh, Haggai is a little lesser known book of the Bible. It's in the Minor Prophets there toward the end of the Old Testament. Uh, but man, God has done some amazing stuff, He's doing amazing stuff in the book of Haggai. I've been studying it uh, recently in a class. I'm teaching a certificate program through Sanford University at First Baptist Athens. And God has taught me a lot through Haggai, and I believe that He's got a word for us. And so for four weeks, we're going to be in the book of Haggai talking about leadership principles, servant principles. Uh, if, if we are to buy into, I need to be involved in the church, these are principles that we are going to have to buy into. And so we'll pull those from, uh, we'll pull those from the book of Haggai. Uh, then we'll have a three-week three week series where we'll go into the New Testament and we're going to talk about spiritual gifting and what it looks like to practically serve in a local body of believers. And by the way, that's anywhere. If this gets you fired up, and encouraged to go somewhere else and serve, praise God. Praise God. Every church in this area, we need to increase the kingdom of God so the kingdom of God can be sweeter in what we're doing. And so, uh, and so anyway, so we're going to be in Habakkuk chapter... Haggai, excuse me, not Habakkuk. Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. And listen what it says. Uh, our, our message today is what's priority. The, the precept or the principle that we're teaching is what's priority takes precedent. 
what is most important should take precedent in our life. Listen to Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Now, here's what's happening in Israel in in Haggai, and I don't know why I'm trying to say Hosea and Habakkuk, but when I do, I mean Haggai, all right? So just know that because it's probably going to happen. All right, but in the and, and so here's what's happening. Haggai comes into a situation where the people of Israel have been in exile for seventy years. All right, they've been in exile. They were first they were um, taken captivity by the Babylonians. Uh, then the Medes and Persians take over, and so the Medes and Persians are in power at the time. And Cyrus issues an edict, a law that every Jew or encouragement that every Jew should return back to their place of origin. They should return back to Israel. And there are hundreds of thousands of Jews spread out all over the Persian Empire, but only 50,000 decide to return. So already a fraction of the people decide to turn. Why? Because the people got accustomed to the way they were living. They were apathetic. They didn't care. A whole generation had come, and they had only known Babylon. So why would they, why would they leave? And so, and so there was an apathy already in the church, but 50,000 Israelites had just returned from exile. And immediately, they got to work doing what? Building the temple. And where do you start when you build anything? You start at the foundation, or at least you better. You start at the foundation. And so they got to work building the foundation, but the people around them began to kick back. They began to cause a fuss. And so listen what it says... Uh, in, uh, in uh, number one, then, in your notes, uh, let's look at excuses. Let's look at the people of Israel and their excuses. They, they started to experience resistance, and all of a sudden, the work on the temple ceased. Now, understand, this is before Nehemiah. Nehemiah came to rebuild the walls. They're rebuilding the temple, right? First things first. And so they're rebuilding the temple. And so, and so Haggai and Zerubbabel and Joshua all come together to lead uh, toward this effort. But let's look firstly at excuses. Haggai chapter 1, verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. These people say the time has not come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Now understand what they're saying there. Uh, There are two ways to look at the exile, the 70-year exile of Israel by the Babylonians. One is to look at it from the time that they were enslaved to Babylon. And that time is significantly earlier than the time that Jerusalem actually fell, that Nebuchadnezzar came in, crushed Jerusalem, and took everybody out. Those are two different dates. There's 16 years that actually separate those two dates. And so what they were saying is... If we're not using the earlier date, if we're using the date that Jerusalem fell, it hasn't been 70 years yet. So it hasn't been 70 years. The, the, uh, the, the time has not elapsed. We know from the prophets that it's going to be 70 years. And so the time hasn't come. We should just let everything chill for a little bit. Right? And so when Haggai shows up for 16 years, because they experienced some kickback, 
Because they experienced some resistance, they had decided to just pause the work of the Lord. We know some of that resistance. Now, Nehemiah talks about, and he gives the, the Samaritans names, like Tobiah and Sanballat, right? The people that opposed him. It was the same way in Haggai's time, and for Zerubbabel, as they were getting to work building the temple, and they were building the foundation. The Samaritans there, these half-breeds, according to the Jews, uh, that, would, that had, were, had come from captivity in um, Assyria, the Assyrians, they, they had a practice of scattering all of their enemies. So if they overtook Alabama, they'd spread us to New York, right? They would spread them all over the place. And those people came in, they started intermarrying the Jews. It's where we have, that we get the Samaritans. And so the Samaritans, who had blended cultures and religions, when they were cut out of the temple, they raised a fuss and actually got the whole temple halted by the king of Syria. But notice what it says there. It says, these people say that the time has not yet come. The, the, Assyria, the, the Persian king, Cyrus, uh, or at this time Darius, had no, had no bearing on if the people were going to work or not. What were they doing? They were making excuses. Right? The king tells us not to. Seventy years hasn't come. I tell you what, let's do something else. So we know that people were against them. The Bible says that the land was against them. As they came, they had a romanticized view of what it was going to be like, right? Everybody has that. As a kid, I dreamt about the time that I would get to where I could drive, right? And then when I drove, I got to the time, I can't wait till I graduate from high school. And then I can't wait to get out of college and start my career. I can't wait to be married. I can't wait to have a job. I can't wait to be retired, right? We all do this and we dream about the next stage of our life being better than it is today. That's exactly what they did. Those 50,000 exiles returned thinking that everything was going to be great. They met resistance in human form, and they met resistance. The land had grown up. It was difficult to cultivate. They left lush, fertile farmland. They came back to overgrown messes and thickets. Uh, more than that, that God even made the weather to where the weather wasn't favorable. There was drought. There was famine. All of these things were going on, and the people were going, it's not time yet. Let's wait for the right time. To justify what was going on, the people made excuses. Listen to what it says in your notes. In God's economy, if you're waiting on the right time, you will always miss it. If you are waiting on the right time, if you are waiting on the time for there to be no objections to what you are called to do, there's no objections, I've got no doubts, everything is hunky-dory and fine, if you, if you, have, you will never reach that place. Right? You will never have the end declared from the beginning. There's only one being that can do that, and that is God, who declares the end from the beginning. So you're not going to know the final step of your transition, but if God's called you to it, he's still called you to it. And you still respond in faith. And so the people of Israel knew that they were called by God to rebuild the temple, but the right time just hadn't come. Let's let these Samaritans get off our back. Let's let these lands get more fertile. Let's let this weather get better. And then we'll talk about the Lord. So number two, we see exhortation. Let's see what Haggai has to say about this. Because here's, here's the truth. 
If you don't get around to serving God now, you'll never get around to it. Can I say that? As a church, if you're not able to get around to serving God now, there will never come a magical time. And that's what we all think, right? We all, we all tend to think, as soon as God splits the sky and radiates a beam of sunshine directly into my soul and thunders from heaven, this is what we should do. Then we'll have confirmation and then we'll be able to do it, right? But that day never comes. Or when I reach a certain level of spiritual maturity, I'll decide to be a leader. Can I tell you, I still don't think I've reached that level of maturity yet. Like, as a pastor, I am, I'm, I'm fine with everything I have. I'm like a duck on the water, man. I, everything looks calm on the top, but I'm just kicking like crazy trying to stay afloat, right? If I'm waiting for everything to, all my answers, questions to be answered, then I don't need faith. And God simply is not going to do it. And so they were waiting on the right time. And so Haggai had to exhort them. He had to encourage them. Listen what he said in verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. We will see that again in chapter 1. Consider your ways. Hey, check what you're doing. Check your heart on this. You ever had somebody tell you that? Hey, you, you need to check your heart on that. Consider your ways. Give thought to the way that you are conducting your life. That's what he's literally telling him. And he tells them what? Rather than focusing on building God's house, rather than, and, and, and at this point, this is God's house. This was the temple. This is where the Spirit of God manifested itself. Now, I understand that this is not God's house. This is a building with a cross on it. That's relatively high in the air because I've been on a cherry picker painting it. All right? This is a building. We are the church. But in the Old Testament, it was the church. This was where worship happened. This was where the presence of God rested. But rather than focus on building God's house, because of the conditions that the people lived in, they were perfectly content to focus on taking care of themselves. Well, now that they have made adequate enough excuses to appease their own conscience, now they'll say, well, okay, we can't get busy building God's house. Let's build our own. All of a sudden, these little lean-to shanties that they had built to just provide meager shelter until they got the house of God built became these massive buildings, these paneled homes, right? These easy boy recliners, these big screen TVs, these massive boats in our massive shops and, and, and uh, garages. They were living in luxury. Now, I'm not saying anything about how we're living, but this is what was going on of the day. Because there was work to be done in the house of God, they had Instead of that, they had busied themselves with everything else. They were taking care of themselves. And this is immediately what Haggai points to. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your nice paneled homes while the house of God lies in ruins? He's speaking of priorities. The prophet called the people to make the work of God in their day a priority for them. This must be 
priority. If God's word, listen, we're never going to get around to being obedient to God if we're constantly serving and being obedient to ourselves and our own appetites. It's not going to happen. There's not going to be time where it financially makes sense. It's like having kids, right? I've had people say, well, it just doesn't seem right right now. And, well, dad gum, let me just tell you about not seeming right. When you get your wife home from the honeymoon... A month and three days after you're married and you walk into a dock in a box to get a Z-pack because your wife can't get better and you find out she's pregnant, let me tell you a little bit about God's time and were we ready? Absolutely not. Holy cow. But God provided. God provided. Right? And so we wait, we constantly, meticulously pour into the details of this. Does it make sense? Does it make sense? Can we do it now? Should I do this? Maybe I need to read my Bible more, like as if like the fish is clean before he's caught. Like maybe if I, just, if I read my Bible more, if I, if I get serious about my walk with the Lord, then I'll volunteer. Then I'll, I'll take a leadership role. Then I'll be responsible for reaching my community with Christ. Do we hear how backwards that is? God has called us to make a difference. And so I learned a lesson a long time ago that I want to share with you. It's a, it's a lesson on stewardship. It, by the way, it doesn't relate solely to your time. It relates to any resource you have. Money, time, your family relates to any of it. But this is how it goes. I've got, I've got three rocks here, larger stones, that represent the things in our life that need to take priority. These are the things in our life that should be the most important things to us. But here's how we live most of our life. I told the service before this, on a side note, we eat Chinese food way too much. Uh, Here's what we do. We take the little rocks of our life, the things that are not bad. I mean, the little stuff, it's not bad. They're good things, but they're not the best things. And we throw our life, the first thing, hey, we can't do without our Alabama football. We can't do without our sports. We can't do without our hobbies. We can't do without this or without that. We fill our jar with this. And then, and then we go and we start trying to fit the things that really matter, the things of eternal significance. And we're like, maybe we can cram it in here and maybe we can... And we realize there is no way to fit these things that should be most important to us, the priority things in our life, there's no way to fit them. And so this is, this is, what, this is what Haggai is teaching. He said, listen, Israel, if you will make the non-negotiables in your life priority, you will focus on fitting them into your life first. Watch what God would do. Now this jar we could say, is full. We can't fit another big rock in this thing. But if we will put priority on the things that are important, it is amazing to see when we start trying to do other things because it's not the most important thing. It's not the non-negotiable for us. Right? We, we don't have to compromise. We realize, we realize that God has redeemed our margins. 
If we focus, if we make sure that the main thing is in the jar, if we make sure that we are where we need to be with the Lord, where we are doing what He's, we are investing in eternity, if we make sure that this happens, then we'll see that God can redeem the margins. But it's not just that, right? God doesn't just redeem our time in that way. But God said, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. This is sugar. Mostly because I didn't have sand. But this is sugar. Right? And so then what we do, before I sweeten the entire church, then we realize that as we begin trusting God to provide for us, we begin putting Him in the position that He needs to be in our life. The jar was full before. It was full before. There was, there was no room. There was no more big rocks that could be put in it. But we can trust God with the margins of our life. If we will put Him, if we will make Him priority in our life, watch what God does. If you will make the things that please God priority in your life, watch how God blesses the rest. Watch it. Just see it. This, I said this, this works for our finances as well. If we will put our tithe in, listen, if you are waiting till you have 10% margin to tithe, you will never tithe. The enemy will make sure that you don't have it. But if you will give, and I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to get money from you. I, I swear everybody thinks that every pastor's out for everybody's money, okay? I'm telling you, I, I want you to be blessed by this. If we will give God the 10% on the top, if we will say, this is non-negotiable for me, I'm going to give you, God, what is most significant in my life, right? I'm taking that on faith, and then we start filling in the rest of it. Watch how God provides for you and your family. Why am I telling you this? Because I, I'm, I've, I've been there. I've been there. And God, will even, there'll be times in your life where you'll think, well, there's no way we can tithe. We're going to have to just cut back on that. But if you will do it, the Bible, the Bible tells us, right? Test me in this and see, and see if I will not pour, open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you, Right? And so this is how we should live our life again. And there's more room in here for more sugar, right? God, God allows us if we keep things in the proper perspective. And again, the, the principle is what's priority takes precedent because everything else can fill in the gaps, especially to a God who is sovereign over time. A God who is sovereign over it. And so this was, this was the lesson that Haggai teaches in your notes, personal preference makes for lousy priorities. Personal preference makes for lousy priorities. The people preferred to be more comfortable. They'd gotten used to Babylonian living. They liked all the comfort that it afforded them and it provided them. And so that's how they wanted to live. That's how they sought to live. And so it made more sense to them. It was more preferable for them to live in comfort even though God's house was in ruins. It made more sense for them to live in comfort. And so they worked for 16 years building their homes, building their fancy houses. And all the while, 
the kingdom of God was stagnant in the area. And so what happened? God couldn't bless. God couldn't bless them for their obedience. Look what it says, point three. Haggai has to explain to them. This is the explanation. This is why you guys are working as hard as you possibly can work, but you're not getting anywhere. Listen to what he says in Haggai chapter 1, verse 6. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you, but you never have your fill. And you clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Right? You're doing all of these things, but they're not meeting all of your needs. Why are they not meeting all of your needs? He tells us. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Think about the priority that you are placing on things in your life. Go to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Listen to this. You looked for much. Man, if there has ever been a dream for the American people, it is looking for much. You are looking for much. You are looking for extravagance. You are looking to keep up with the Joneses. You are looking for people to look at you. And behold, you looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I... Blew it away. We don't just see a God who passively allowed everything to happen. We see a God who actively made sure that their provisions did not provide for them. I blew it away. When you brought it into your storehouses, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself. With his own house. God was teaching Israel a lesson. If you'll get the main thing right. If you'll focus your affection and your energy. On things that have eternal significance. I promise you. I will meet all of your needs. Investing 101. Investing 101 seeks to do this, right? We seek to invest our resources in places where that have the greatest opportunity for return. And so we mitigate risk and, and uh, reliability and we try to get a balance between them because we want the best return on our money. If I'm investing, I want money made back, right? This is the law of investment. But the law of theology is theology 101 is God's glory is greater than my own. So let me ask you something. Does it make more sense to invest in your life which you will not outlive? Your existence and your time on earth or to invest in a kingdom that has no end? You tell me. Where is your best investment found there? My house lies in ruins while, you, while each of you busies himself with his own house. The problem with trying to provide for yourself, the problem with filling your jar with all your little rocks, is it is the nature of provisions to run out. Get provisions, 
right? You have provisions set aside. I talk, think about every building project I've ever done. I have never, ever, ever not had to go back to the store. Can I just tell you? I have never done it. I have never successfully, maybe some of you have, and kudos to you. I have always had to go back to the store. Why? Because it is in the nature of provisions to run out. However, it is the nature of the provider to supply. The provisions that you provide yourself may win you a battle. But only a supply will win you the war. If you are to stand the test of time... In this Christian walk, it's not going to come from providing for yourself. It's going to come in trusting in the one who is able to meet all of your needs. And so what's non-negotiable for you? Why is it that in our life, practically speaking, man, our job's not negotiable. Our kids' ball practices aren't negotiable. Missing a football game isn't negotiable. Roll Tide. But yet we struggle every day to have a quiet time. That's the negotiable thing. Pastors and leaders fight tooth and nail to get people to show up. Do you know what used to be the, the formula of effective church membership, active church membership? It used to be three out of four. Three weeks out of four. Do you know what it is now? Two out of four and, tr- and trending to one out of four. As a whole, the church is negotiable. And what I'm encouraging to do is not just show up, man. We're glad to have you. But don't stay there. Don't stay there. I love you too much. God loves you too much to allow you to stay in mediocrity. He's calling you to something greater. Why? Because the gospel came to you because it was coming to someone else. God wants to use you to invest in eternity if we'll quit investing in ourselves. And so what does that look like for you? What does this invitation look like for you? With every head bow and eye closed, man, the clearest way to begin to invest in the kingdom of God is to have a relationship with the Lord. And to have that relationship. And so if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, there's, there's no place for you to start but at the feet of Jesus. God loves you. He sent His Son to die for you, whether you're at home or whether you're here in these pews and these seats. God loves you and He sent His Son to die for you. And so if you're not invested in the kingdom of God, you don't have a relationship with Him, start the investment there. Start with a relationship with Christ. The Bible tells us, That if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we can be saved. And so we've got counselors that are here in this place, in this room, to my right and my left. If you're here, whether right or left side of the room, you can come to the front. We would love to talk to you about how you can know that you have a relationship with Christ. But maybe a response to you at this time means being done with casual attendance. And maybe you need to Join what we're doing here at Lindsay Lane North. You need to increase the accountability in your life. You need to join and you need to be a part of what God is doing here in Elkmont, Alabama. Again, whether that's in person or, in the, or from your home. And be a part of what God is, is doing. Maybe you need, to, you need to consider membership today. Our counselors would love to talk to you about that. 
Maybe you need to surrender to the Lord and take that first step of obedience. You know you're a Christian, but you've never been baptized. Maybe you need to get that right. Maybe you get that straight today. And then maybe your response looks like at the end of this service to walk out to that next steps table where we have the sign-ups for both small groups, home groups, and ministry teams that whichever God is leading you to be involved with and be a part of, sign me up. We would love to talk to you about that as well. But you need to respond in obedience to the Lord. Father, give us boldness and give us strength to respond to you in this moment.